0: Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC.
3: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, February 26th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we'll hear from a veteran of the civil rights movement as leaders gather to celebrate the state's Civil Rights Museum. History should not be something that is
4: just reflected upon or or contemplated over. It should ignite something in you. It should inspire you. It should motivate you. It should demand
3: from you a commitment. Then on Everyday Tech, find out if your tech etiquette is up to par with our experts. And a conversation with a Nobel Prize winning expert on the impact of investing in early childhood education. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A civil rights icon is sharing his thoughts after a weekend visit to Mississippi's Civil Rights Museum. Congressman John Lewis of Georgia is a legend in the civil rights movement. The 74-year-old was in Jackson this weekend to be honored at a gala and other events celebrating the museum's opening. Lewis was to be recognized at the official opening in December, but he chose not to come after learning President Trump would be attending. The two have criticized each other in the media. In the 1960s, he led the student- Nonviolent Coordinating Committee which launched Mississippi Freedom Summer to register black voters. He was a freedom rider who helped desegregate bus travel and was also jailed. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier he was moved during his museum tour.
5: Just to be here, to see all that is happening, filled me with joy. Walking through the museum made me cry. I saw... Pictures and images of people that I got to know, that I worked with and struggled with, and that I love. And and someone no longer here, but seemed like they were speaking to me. uh, Think, keep going, continue, not to give up. So I was deeply inspired by seeing. The image of Fannie Lou Hamer, Megha Evers, Lawrence Gillard, and and so many other young soldiers of the movement.
6: Were you disappointed in the time that you waited to come see this museum because when the president came for the grand opening, you decided not to participate? I was very
5: disappointed that uh, I couldn't come because I didn't want to be here why he was here. But I'm so glad and so honored that I had the opportunity to, to come this weekend.
6: What is your message to Mississippians? Because your all of your contributions and everything that you have done has inspired, as you heard Senator Booker say, many generations and it impacted so many people worldwide. So what do you want Mississippians to take away from knowing that you took the time to come here and see for yourself what is happening?
5: Well, I want people to know that I I came and I appreciated what I saw, what I witnessed, what I felt. And I want other people, not just in the state of Mississippi, that haven't visited the museum, but people from all over America and from all over the world, to come here. You know, people struggle from about different issues. There's a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and a lot of hurt in our society. And I think this museum can help heal people. So if they could do it in Mississippi, then we can do it in Alabama, or we can do it in Georgia, or we can do it in Europe, or in Africa, or in Asia. It's not just a museum for America, but it's a museum for the world.
6: Do you ever feel like, man, I'm spinning my wheels?
5: No, sometimes I feel like I'm reliving my life. I thought we had conquered that problem, that issue. But you see the ugly head of racism rising. It's not dead.
3: Georgia Congressman John Lewis with our Desiree Frazier. Derek Johnson is president and CEO of the NAACP. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier about the origins of the state's civil rights museum.
2: Nothing comes into being out of the air. Uh, I want to commend members of the Mississippi Legislative Black Caucus, Percy Watson, and many, many others, Willie Bailey, who provided the initial groundwork to create the atmosphere to get the bond passed. For this museum. It was several years in the making, and as a result of their hard work, uh, Willie Perkins, Willie Simmons, all of them who all pushed for the need to represent and honor the history of this state from a perspective of struggle, of sacrifice, and victory.
6: What has this weekend meant for you and the NAACP?
2: What it's meant for me personally is ability to say thank you to the veterans of the civil rights movement who are still here, many of you here today. Uh, we must honor those who sacrifice for this state, our community, and to make humanity better. So for me personally, it is rewarding. For the NAACP, it allows us to tell the story that if we struggle together, we fight together to make democracy work, we can create a better future for our children. Therefore, the NACP is as relevant today as it has always been.
6: It has been delayed. Uh, The official grand opening was without John Lewis. He did not want to come. Um, Representative Benny Thompson didn't want to come. You did not come. The delay of that, does it any way uh, diminish what it is you're trying to do? How do you feel about that?
2: The actions that Congressman Lewis and Thompson took that I support, agree, and participated in amplified the Civil Rights Museum in ways in which uh, the museum received earned media that it would not have received. More people across the country know of its existence. And as a result of that, with the content that's in a museum, we are better able to tell the story of how democracy works for all.
3: NAACP President Derek Johnson with our Desiree Frazier. New Jersey Senator Cory Booker spoke at the symposium this weekend. He says the museum is a national asset. I am one of these
4: people that gets frustrated about how often we try to make our history into a varnished sanitized homogenized whitewashed comfortable convenient story the history of this country is often ugly and wretched there was pain there was agony there was sacrifice there was funk in our history and so to have this museum which I know Benny, who is a hero of mine as well, the congressman. I want to correct him. This is not a Mississippi museum. This is America's museum. This is a global light, like Elijah called us all to be a light unto nations. This is important, this is critical. This is, to me, essential for our country to advance because you cannot advance as a nation if you aren't willing to air the truth, to expose it to light, to let the festering wounds that still fester in our country now. If you can't tell that truth and have that conversation, then you are betraying that very history that you seek to celebrate. So we are gathered here today to not just give honor to our past, but to ensure that our future is secure. The Democrat
3: also says the museum should inspire younger generations to act. We are
4: moving backwards on indices that should make all of us, black, white, Asian, Latino, all of us, say this is not going to happen on my watch. And so we are gathered here today to talk about those heroes who fought for us, who struggled for us, who sweat for us. And my generation of African Americans, my generation of Americans, what are we doing with our history? History should not be something that is just reflected upon or or contemplated over. It should ignite something in you. It should inspire you. It should motivate you. It should demand from you a commitment. And we are at this toxic state that my my father agonized that how could we have gained so much ground since slavery with this incredible history of struggle, this incredible history where Americans of all backgrounds demonstrated their commitment to our ideals, where we saw people throwing themselves from ships in the Middle Passage, perhaps our first ancestors had ever said, give me liberty or give me death. We came from the sacrifices of the first people to die for our country like Christmas addicts at African-American. In states like this, rich with soil that grew soldiers for our democracy, where we see the pain of one of the worst periods of domestic terrorism in our country's history. And here we are now at this moment. We need to be still telling the truth about where we are. The words of my father, part of this generation, The heroes that are before me, the veterans that are before me, the words of my father haunt me, who said, boy, I worry that a child growing up just like me, black and born poor in a segregated environment. He worried out loud to me that that child would be better off being born when he was born in 36 than be born
3: today. New Jersey Senator Cory Booker. Mississippi Congressman Benny Thompson and Chairman of the Congressional Black Caucus, Cedric Richmond, also took part in the weekend celebration. Coming up, find out if your tech etiquette is up to par with our experts. Everyday tech is next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
0: On the next Deep South Dining, we want to know what's happening in your kitchen. Kevin Farrell and Deborah Hunter are going to be taking your phone calls and answering your emails as we want to find out what is or is not happening in your kitchen. As always, Deborah's going to bring in something delicious for us to talk about, but we want to hear from you and learn what you are cooking. So tune in to the next Deep South Dining today, 9 a.m., only on MPB Think Radio. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast using any podcast app. Just search Deep South Dining.
7: This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with Jeremy Thompson, and today we're discussing tech etiquette. So, Jeremy, what are some things people need to think about when it comes to tech etiquette?
0: Well, it's a really good question, Michelle. Uh, First off, we want to establish exactly what tech etiquette is, and that will be proper conduct using your electronic device both on and offline uh, for the safety, of yourself and for others, for the respect of yourself and others, and also for your future and others as well.
7: So you talk about safety. How can practicing tech etiquette keep us safe online?
0: So learning about tech etiquette will allow us to understand the do's and don'ts. Um, Online, of course, you want to be careful about who you give your real name to, um, even more protective of who you give, say, your home address to or even, say, your email address to. So when we're talking about online safety, we want to make sure that we're keeping information about ourselves, like our name, our phone number, our home address, and even our email address private, Uh, unless, of course, we've determined that people that we're talking to are uh, able to be given those details uh, and our safety will not be compromised. Um, When we're talking about offline safety, most of it is simply paying attention to where you're going. Uh, We want to be aware of our surroundings, where we're going and so forth. These days we see so many people wandering around with their phones in the middle of the road. It's good to look up and be aware of what's going on around you, not just for vehicles, but because of other people around you as well. If you're in a big city and you've got your phone in your hand and you're in your face, you can't see what's going on around you and somebody could mug you or hit you or whatever. So, Jeremy, you mentioned respect earlier. How can using tech etiquette help people
7: maintain respect on and offline.
0: Well, understanding the principles of tech etiquette for respect uh, involve uh, talking to people in a proper way. You know, it's uh, it's technically against the rules to use lots of capitalization online. It's considered yelling and so forth. And these are things that really do bother people, even though they seem small. And it's still part of tech etiquette. So when we're talking about respect online, uh, a lot of that comes into uh, person-to-person debates that people get into online and so forth. There's a way that we can discuss things that uh, we don't necessarily agree with with someone without resulting into name calling and, and trying to threaten people and so forth. Uh, so understanding how to be respectful of people will keep you from upsetting anyone and having someone come after you or creating Uh, other conflicts. As far as respect offline goes, um, again, we want to keep the phone out of people's faces in certain surroundings. So when we're at the dinner table, we need to be off of our phones and aware of the people that we're with and present and enjoy face-to-face conversation.
7: So Jeremy, why is understanding tech etiquette so important to our future?
0: Well, these days, everybody wants to put everything online from what you had to breakfast to who you partied with last night. And that can be really dangerous for your future because it may not matter that you posted it today. But five years down the road, when you're looking for a job, they may look at you and see that you might not be the potential candidate they're looking for. So when we're talking about our future and offline tech etiquette, we want to be sure that we're understanding the line between when we're using that device for necessity versus entertainment. And people are becoming more accustomed to picking that device up all the time. When we first get out of bed, uh, while we're in the bathroom, uh, pretty much every time we turn around. And so we want to be sure that we're finding plenty of time for face-to-face time with our family, our significant others. And uh, it's good to just step away from that device and let it charge once in a while.
7: I understand what you mean. Nowadays, you can go to any restaurant and see couples or families at a table and everyone is on their phone – no one is communicating with each other anymore. So teaching tech etiquette to children and adults is very important.
0: So, Michelle, we've discussed a lot here today about the Internet, and it's a great place where we can have lots of fun and we can learn a great deal. But what we really want people to remember is that proper tech etiquette is of the utmost importance to your safety, For the respect of others and for our futures and the futures of our loved ones. But we want to make sure that we're practicing proper etiquette both online and offline. For our safety, we need to make sure we're not giving out too many details. And offline, we want to make sure that we're keeping our head up and looking around at what's going on around us. Remember to be respectful of people online and offline, both the noises that come from your phone and the people that are around you that may want your attention. And for the future, you want to make sure, even though it doesn't matter tomorrow and it may not matter the next day, eventually someone is going to see what you put out there. And you want to make sure it's a good representation of who you are and how others see you.
7: We will talk more about tech etiquette on Everyday Tech, the show that comes on Wednesdays at 10 a.m., For Jeremy Thompson, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition.
3: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. James Heckman is a Nobel Prize-winning economist. The award-winning researcher has a long resume that also includes serving as a professor of law. During a recent visit to Mississippi, Heckman spoke to educators on the value and impact of offering early education to children from all walks of life. He tells us the rate of return on investments in early childhood education in Mississippi is good for the economy.
1: Economists are very well equipped to place early childhood development and early childhood development programs as part of a portfolio, a potential portfolio of social programs that might be implemented. So, for example, we have the idea of building stadiums or building highways or refurbishing the uh, airports and so forth. And we can evaluate what the rates of return are for these different projects. So economists are very good and insist on trying to understand what rates of return are, whether or not the money spent in public programs is worth it. In a sense, does it pay for itself? Should we just spend the money doing something else or not spend it at all? So that's one But secondly, economists are also very good at organizing the evidence for how these programs work. And a lot of work. Most of my work over my lifetime has actually been understanding the economics of human development. Just understanding investment in schooling, investment in in education, very generally, college, high school, elementary school, job training. Understanding how to build skills. Skills are a huge part of modern uh, in the modern economy. They're huge, major determinant of the earnings of most people. They they work. They get paid for their job, their skills on the job. And so understanding skills is really understanding earnings and understanding the determinants of the labor market and how the demand for these things has changed. So part of my research was and is devoted to really understanding the skill formation process, what sometimes economists call the human capital formation. And so understanding the number of skills that we have, the multiplicity of skills and how they're developed over the life cycle is a good economic Now,
3: you have done reams of research over the years. Yes. It sounds discouraging or encouraging based on the research that if you go all the way back to a very young age, three, four years old, that the future of that child is determined by what happens then.
1: Well, be careful. I mean, it's not like everything's set in stone. I mean, there are a lot of people, a lot of people out there who have, had a rough initial start, who don't recover. I mean, there's resilience. People can shake it off. But I would state it more positively, that if kids, disadvantaged or advantaged, get good initial starts, they're going to have a much greater chance of success throughout their lives.
3: What's really going to make a difference, and at what age can you influence the development of a
1: child? Well, we age, I mean, we can influence the development of a person at every age by interacting with them, by having a part of their... Entering their lives and more or less staying with them and encouraging them, but we can start at the very earliest ages at birth, even prenatally, in the following sense that you can advise the mother about certain threats to the child's outcomes, the health by you know too much drinking, too much smoking, too much drug use, uh, and then for influence the environment, you can advise the mother early on about the the importance of breastfeeding, the fact that breastfeeding has been demonstrated to have really beneficial effects on child development, not only not only physical development but also intellectual development. And so there is a there are senses in which we can we can intervene. I sound too activist. I'm not trying to suggest that we want to be too interventionist here, but what I'm suggesting that there are ways we can influence child and human development over the whole life cycle. We can take an adult who's, you know, 60 years old, for example, and even in that case, take a take an adult who's kind of isolated and, you know, depressed and maybe has given up on certain aspects of life. Interacting with that person, engaging them, bringing them out into the larger world can be very beneficial even at that age. But it's especially beneficial at the younger ages because that's, that's the age of exploration. That's the age of growth. That's when we really... We can learn very quickly. What
3: would you leave our listeners with? I mean, we we were coming into this to talk about early childhood development. Yes, but since you said all development, you know, lifetime yeah.
1: development. But remember, you... lifetime development starts early, and in right. fact, so, so we can thwart that development if we get the if a young child is kind of raised in a very disadvantaged environment and takes a track that kind of takes it way out of the possibility stream, so it really starts having its life outcomes restricted very early, then that child is simply not going to participate in all these other opportunities, so they're not going to be able to flourish. They're going to be routed and put into systems which keep them outside the mainstream and probably leads, in most cases, to very unhappy lives. So child development, I think, is the foundation. Parenting, providing environments that actually nourish and encourage the child to explore, so yes in the end we're talking about successful adults and I don't want to say it's all over at age 3 but age 3 is very important the first the early years are when we're learning a lot so the heart, we see that i mean literally if you do studies about teaching uh, adults and from early ages to adults and late at late life adults new skills like computer skills or some new kinds of systems it's known. I mean, the instructors in the, in a computer programming skill know that a five-, six-year-old pick it up almost instantly. They can imitate. They can see. They're totally... And the adult, it's it's slower. It's lower. It's a lower rate. So we're missing an opportunity is what I'm saying. So you could get much greater economic and social benefits by giving that child an early environment because these processes accumulate. It's that cumulative development process, which I think is the essence of human development. And you see models of that cumulative process, whether it's in economics, whether it's in genetics or so-called epigenetics, in a variety of different uh, fields of development, you see the same kind of basic framework that skill begets skill, that uh, motivation begets motivation. And these things are synergistically related. They they feed on each other, if you will. They they encourage each other. you are giving kids opportunities. And I think that's the idea that's really important.
3: James Heckman is the Henry Schultz Distinguished Service Professor of Economics at the University of Chicago. I thank you so very much for coming in and talking with us today. Well, it's
1: nice to be here. Thank you very much.
3: Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long, coming up at 9 o'clock, Deep South Dining. Then at 10, it's Now You're Talking. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio.
0: Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC.